A touch of cool out a music collection. Alright, uh, all phones on vibrate. I don't even know where my phone is. Oh, here it is. Here we go. Alright, everybody. Here we are at the Film Photography Podcast. Go around the table to the right. Leslie Lazenby. Hello, pod people. Ethan Moses. Howdy. Mark Dalzell. Hey, uh. Joseph Brunges, a.k.a. Joby. Hello again. John P. Fidelli. Hey, we're back. Mark O'Brien. Hi, y'all. Owen McCafferty. Guten Tag. Thank you. My name is Michael Rosso. Thank you. You know, I am a major award winner. Yeah. I'm going to give this to Mark Dalzell. No, this is a brand new letter. Brand new. No, stop. Bails in. No, stop. Who's it from? Steve O. Mouchette. Oh, yeah, From Steve-o. Santa Rosa, California. He sent us a real typed letter. Mouchette. Good for him. Even, yeah. even the envelope is typed. Greetings, FPP crew. Back in August of 2018, I tried my hand at Red Scale. I used Fuji Color 200. Bold move for sure. In my dark bag, I popped the canister open and respooled the film backwards. The next bold move was trying this out in my Claris camera. I and a friend spent most of the night on the Marin County side of the Golden Gate Bridge north of San Francisco. I took lots of long exposure shots of the bridge. The photo enclosed is the culmination of that night, a four-minute exposure. I then developed the roll with my C41 kit from the FPP. C41! I mailed the negative to Blue Moon Camera and Machine in Portland. They printed several 8x12s. Their customer service was beyond five stars. Six? Out of a hundred. As a result, I I now send them all my negatives for printing, since they do optical printing. The other part of this is the fact that I found a few working Claris cameras. Yeah. Obviously. The sharpness and clarity that the 50mm wall-and-sack lens has is great. I loved the Sam and Sherman interviews and what he said about Claris. Please have him back. Oh, my God. Don't forget, you can look up. I did a whole segment on Claris. I remember. Go, yeah. I don't have a working Same Claris, not. but I have I have a working Same original not. box for a Claris camera <laughs> if I ever find one next to my Photron box. Yes. Please have him back. Enjoy the photo, and if you want more, do not hesitate to ask. I am willing to send more. Keep up the great shoes and helping to keep the gas alive. Steve-O. Thank you, Mark. For those folks listening at home, Red Scale. John, do you know what Red Scale is? Uh, it's the thing that the guy on Game of Thrones got, right? Okay. <laughs> you take... Uh, when you turn to stone. There's a pill for that. You take uh, you know, a, a regular roll of Kodak Max or you know, a color film in a dark bag or dark room. You take all the film out of the can... You, know, you, you pull all the film out of the cartridge until you get to the very end. Mm-hmm. Then you cut it. Then you inverse it. Oh. Flip it over. Tape it, and then bring it back into the cartridge, and then you shoot it. So you're shooting through the base of the film. Am I making sense, Joby? You shoot through the base. So since you're shooting through the base and layers you're not supposed to shoot with, it drops the ISO down. So your ISO 200 like two is going to be th- maybe more. Oh, maybe. No, maybe four. Yeah, that was yeah. Like 50. So, yeah, I was going to say ISO 400 is usually like... 25, isn't it? Yeah. 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 No, so 400 is usually 100, and then 
the uh, it's different with the you have sphema. latitude, right? They, yeah, but it's different with the, if you do it with the sphema because it's the it doesn't have a dense orange mask oh, like right. the other stuff, right? It's more tin. So that's what red scale is. Just you know, case John. Well, you didn't know. I remember talking about this about fourteen years ago. <laughs> have you shot red scale? <laughs> Never. Would you shoot red scale? Sure. Why not? If you go in the bag and reverse some film. Okay. Uh, thanks, John. Well, you can buy red scale. It's already done but for you. Lomo. You may as well do it yourself. Yeah, Lomo does it. Other people do it, but you can do it yourself really easily. Owen is going to be leaving the table, so <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna switch topics to we're gonna give the floor. We're gonna turn the microphone over to Owen McCafferty, and he's going to talk about uh, yeah, Kodak VR thirty five range of cameras. Okay, please tell us. Uh, so I brought in the VR. Uh, this is the. The K12, which was kind of like the Cadillac model for a long time. I'll pass it around. There's film in it, so if you want to shoot a, a shot. Real, real quick. What is VR? I actually virtual don't... reality. Yeah, oh, virtual really? reality. Yeah. Oh, for, for folks that... Oh, you... <laughs> Leslie knows. VR, do you know? Bueller? I don't know. Bueller? Very realistic. Real. When they uh, started using tabular grain in film. You're my brain's uh, Folks at home, uh, what I'm doing is I'm shooting some Super 8 while we're recording. No, so, you're just holding the light in my face. So I'm going to direct <laughs> Mark. Mark, you're going to like have the VR. You're going to look at it like you're interested you're going to hand it to John, but John's going to be completely disinterested. Act interested. You act interested. All right, good. Look at him. Look at him. Wow. That's great. Now you show the camera the camera. Oh, good. shit. Uh-huh. And a roll. roll. Out. Oh. Stupid. That's five, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> All right, take it away, Owen. Oh, okay. So um, th- these were point-and-shoot cameras um, that were introduced ar- around 1984, 85. Um, it was the first 35-millimeter camera that Kodak had made in 17 years. So the last 35-millimeter camera they had made since the VRs came out were 1969. So wow. it was a huge gap. And I, I think what's interesting about that is thinking about when 35-millimeter became its most popular for consumers. Um, I mean, 35-millimeter film became the standard in, in for cinematography in the late 19th century, but 35mm still cameras, for most people, were expensive, they were heavy, uh, they were hard to use. And so 35mm as a format remained really the, the, the choice for professionals and consumers who were making slide film, uh, or, or just making slides. Um, in 1963, 126 comes out, which is the same width as 35mm film, but it's in a cartridge. And the, the whole cartridge system, which was 126, Super 8mm revolutionized consumer cameras for cons- for the you know average Joe and mom and dad. Aunt Linda. Yeah, Aunt Linda. Because mm-hmm. you could just pop the cartridge in the back of the camera, start taking pictures. It was perfect. After 63, in 1972, Kodak, off the success of 126, comes out with 110 film. So yes. now the cameras are smaller. <laughs> the the film is, is smaller. Uh, you can fit the cameras in, in, your, in your back pocket. And it was a huge success. Until the early 1980s, it seemed like everybody had a 110 camera. Kodak, and, and, you know, Kodak was the sort of company where, you know, whatever Kodak does, so does the rest of the world. They really wanted to remain on the top of consumer technology for cameras. And in 1982, they come up with a system called disc film. Oh. Uh, yeah. Disc. Disc yeah. film. Disc. Yeah. Yeah. Disc. Disc. Yeah. Disc. Yeah. Disc. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And that's pretty much exactly how consumers felt when it came out in 1982. Well, they had, didn't stop my dad from buying two. Cameras. No, they loved it. They 
for a little they while. They spent millions of. Do- I don't know if anybody remembers the the disc film campaign. It was everywhere. Yeah. It was it was on every television show. Kodak announces a whole new way to make pictures. Introducing disc photography. The beginning is this, a unique film disc. A disc so thin there's room in the camera for an array of precision electronics. The new Kodak Disc Camera. Press a single button and the new Kodak disc camera does it all. It reads the light, it knows when to flash, and can flash again in one and one-third seconds. It even advances the film disc automatically, so you can capture those wonderful moments you may have been missing. The new Kodak disc camera. But the negatives, if you, if you know 110 film, they're just small enough to be okay. But a disc negative is like the size of the of the nail on your pinky. It's tiny. And so consumers were really disappointed in the quality. Um, and other manufacturers who were making, like Canon and Nikon, who were making point-and-shoot 35 millimeters, were touting the image quality that the negatives <coughs> brought. So Kodak decides, you know what, we need to completely shift gears and come out with an easy-to-use point-and-shoot 35mm camera, and they introduced the VR system, which they made until 1993, and that really changed uh, standards for consumer uh, film formats really until APS and digital come out, and they were made until 1993. So this particular model... So this camera was in response to the bad press they got from the disc camera? Pretty much. Oh. Pretty much. Because they go 35 to 110, to even smaller disc. And right. And like, uh, let's go back to 35. Because the rest of the camera manufacturers were touting the fact that their 35mm cameras gave bright, big, nice enlargements. Mm-hmm. And why would you buy a Kodak, the, the shitty, grainy prints that you can't see? That's The response was, well, let's just go back to 35mm and make the cameras easy to use. Did the VR line of films come out to coincide with? I'm not. Yeah, I think that was earlier, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. S- some somewhere in the early '80s, maybe. I think about '83. Yeah. Um, as far as this particular model, the K the K12, I I think it looks amazing. It's certainly a product of its time. It's boxy. It's it's got the flip up cover. That's got this clear window that does absolutely nothing. Yeah, it's so eighties. It is the thing I love about it is that it's boxy, uncomfortable to hold, and loud. Right, like it looks 80s. like it was designed by Much the same like guy the that di- designed the Pontiac Fiero. <laughs> Um, sounds awful. It does sound awful. It's loud. Uh, it's got an autofocus that can't be uh, manually overridden. Although I've never had a picture come out uh, come out bad. They've all they've all been in focus. It's really wide. It's really wide. Wow. What kind of lens? Uh, it's got wide a two point. Uh, is a two point thirty five millimeter. Yeah. You can't turn the flash off, but you can force you can force it on with the fill flash button. You can snap it off. Was this a popular yeah. camera? It was a popular camera. Like the whole it. line was... Po- if you watch the commercials online, the VR camera commercials, it's, oh, a 35 camera, how could I possibly use this? Because it's the 80s, and no, no one seems to be... How does that correct. go again? Smile. You just drop the film in. It almost loads itself. Then aim, and shoot. Have you ever seen a sharper baby picture? I have. It's a great shot. 
Nothing to it. <laughs> it takes a 9-volt battery. Originally, it took a proprietary Kodak battery pack, but you can substitute uh, a 9-volt. It only takes major ASA rating Wait, 64. What? what battery did it take? A Kodak power pack. <sighs> what an yeah. awful thing to do. Why but you can use a 9-volt. You can use a 9-volt. Works just fine. I've never heard of a camera that used a nine volt. There it battery. is, That's right ridiculous. There. there was actually a disc camera that used a nine volt. <laughs> of course, it sounds it was a so weak. It sounds like it's running off of one AAA. It <laughs> yeah. sounds so pathetic. Where's the film counter? The film counter is uh, next to the viewfinder. Oh, to the right. Oh. Yeah, so you can only shoot like 64, 100, 200, 400, 800. Anything else, it's going to default to 100. But they're cheap. You can find them brand new in the box on eBay for like ten dollars. <laughs> Kodak shifting gears to go from. Instamatic formats back to essentially roll film was a big deal because it again was. it remained the standard from the early '80s until digital comes out. Uh, before that, it was Instamatic film. I mean, for so, as crappy as this camera is, it series. works perfectly. Mails in. Now, who's this from? This is actual written. Okay. This is a mailed letter. It's from Brad Bull, B-U-L-L of York, Pennsylvania. Dear film photography podcast crew. I've been listening to new podcasts for a couple of years now, and somewhere along the way I've started listening to the back catalog in between new shows. I only have a 10-minute commute, so I usually listen during my half-hour lunch, which means it will still be a while until I get caught up to present. The other day I was on episode 118, and there was mention of Camera Comics number 3. Out of curiosity, I looked on eBay and nearly pooped... Uh, an Argus C3, a.k.a. a brick. Uh, when I saw the price, sorry, I added too much punctuation. Apologies, Brad. Um, and then he's got a picture of camera comics for $599. Buy it now, or you can make an offer. Oh, I gave an entire set of those to Mike. Whoa. There's camera one, comics. There's one hanging yeah, there's up right one outside. That's his. He's selling them for $5.99. <laughs> oh, wow. The next day I was on episode 119 where Leslie talked about her stereo realist camera. I found a few on eBay and wasn't sure it was worth my Christmas cash. Then I searched <laughs> photos on Flickr and after seeing the results, the auction could not end fast enough. I purchased an early model of 5051. That's, that's 1950, 1951. Uh, and look forward to trying it out. And then he encloses some pictures of it, which are cool. My grandpa used to use those. I'm familiar with it. I'll pass that around. Um, here's page two. Lastly, I wanted to ask about... Oh, I like what he's done here. Um, I wanted to ask about developing black and white film at home. Partway through the last year, I declared that I would develop film before the end of 2018. I purchased the needed items from the FPP store in stages. Yes. I shot a roll of 100 T-Max, which I finished up around Christmas, but the craziness of the season did not allow me to have time until New Year's Eve. A couple of minutes to midnight, and my film was hanging to dry in my shower. It's a smiley face. The next day, I took a look at it, and there's a pinkish-purple haze. I went to the Google and saw that it most likely needed a longer fix. The Google. I followed the recommendation, the recommended time on the FPP fixer for two minutes. Discussed (laughs) on the next point to TMAX needing a longer fix time. I guess that's my answer, but thought it might be a good discussion if you haven't covered it before. I'm attaching one of the ends of my roll as Exhibit A, and he's stapled a picture, or stapled an actual little snippet of this. Uh, as he should. Super yes. awesome. Yeah. I think that's that's way to go, Brad. Um, so we'll look at that in a minute. I still have usable photos. I need, real, I need a real scanner, but have 
uh, light table on my phone and give that gives me this. And he encloses um, another photo of a VW bus. It looks great. Thanks again for all the hard work you do to keep film alive. Sincerely, Brad Bull. And then um, it's Brad Bull, and on Flickr, he's Bull VW 53. And then he's got a really great uh, pen and ink drawing of an Argus C3, I believe. This brick here. Talent. Oh, that's a stamp. And then I'll pass around the... Film leader for analysis. I think. Yeah, I think the I think the doctor is okay. in. Fix I, I, a little longer and use some hypoclearing agent. Oh, it is a drawing. Sort of Actually, <laughs> it's got a. It has the the All purple and pink and T Max film does not have to come out. It will not change anything. Doesn't affect the life. Doesn't affect the printing. Doesn't affect the scanning. But his sample also has just a bit of haziness in the mm-hmm. middle. He needed to fix it longer or. Have more agitation. If you use um, a hypoclearing agent or an archival wash at the end, a lot of times it will take that extra pink out. It's just a little leftover dye. Won't hurt a thing. Kodak would be the first to tell you it's okay to leave it there. Two minutes of fix does seem very short, though. Yeah. It? it is very short. Yeah. Yeah. With T Max, with T Max and Triax, it's like for me sometimes seven minutes. I was going to say eight. It's like getting really old. Oh, I use Rapid though. Oh, okay. So it's three to five. Rapid, three to five. Rum. Then it's not. <laughs> it's you not use not so rapid, rapid now. <laughs> so that that has just a smidgen, a smidgen of haze to it, which tells me it wasn't fixed long enough, and you can refix them. Yeah, really. That's you one thing you back can back up, refix, rewash, hang to dry. Hi, going to a wedding. Got my present all picked out. Movies, home movies by Kodak. Couldn't give a nicer gift, if I do say so myself. Because a Kodak movie camera says, take me with you, always. Now my favorite couple can start a family movie record right at the very beginning. A brownie movie camera is remarkably easy to use, even when you're in love. And the movies they make, they'll treasure for years to come. All movies by Kodak are easy to give, too. Your Kodak dealer has a complete line of brownie movie cameras starting at only $29.95. Or you can choose the distinctive Kodak movie gift kit as I did. This special camera has the fastest lens ever made for brownie and a handsome golden ivory color finish. It comes with two rolls of Kodachrome movie film, so it's ideal for any gift occasion. And the cost? Only $44.95. So for your next gift, Choose the one that says, take me with you, always. Hey, so I have to like, oh, condense this. Look what I found in my mom's closet, a bunch of movie film. It <laughs> looks like oh. it's got a dusty white stuff on it. Dusty white stuff. Well, prob- it's probably mold of some oh, kind. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I would say cleaning and cleaning really is usually two things. Cleaning is like using chemicals to remove things like mold dust fingerprints all that stuff and then one thing that people don't realize about movie film cleaning is lubrication when film is projected on a on a real projector if it's projected a lot it needs good lubrication to keep scratches filled in so that the picture is nice to keep the film flexible um, it actually does help to repel dust um, so when you're looking at cleaners you should be considering whether or not it's going to clean or lubricate or both some do both um, cleaning your movie film has you ha- it Im- always involves chemicals you can't just if, if your film is dirty if it's moldy if it's got crap on it uh, you can't just like blow it off you need to use wet chemicals of some kind as far as what you should use you should only use something that's like made for cle- don't use like windex or 
isopropyl alcohol mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. like your grandpa's moonshine. You don't like that. That could all ruin your film. It could WD-40 is good though, right? <laughs> yeah. Why not? No. It'll lubricate it. It probably wouldn't hurt it, actually. WD-40 probably wouldn't hurt it. I think it would hurt it. <laughs> good. <laughs> I'm going to get nasty letters about, oh my God, I ruined grandpa's films. There, there are two films that I like to use to clean my film with there's a lot out there everybody's gonna have an opinion film renew is probably my favorite it's a slow drying cleaner and a lubricator so it's a two for one if if you're not going to project your films at all like if you're just going to like send them to the fpp and have them scan the fpp will clean them yeah they'll use a fast evaporating cleaner that's not going to lubricate because they don't need to lubricate it's just going to be scanned Um, but if you want to project your films if you want to to clean them as well uh, film Renew is a great product because it does both. You can brush it right on. So you can take that reel of film. You can just brush it on and let it soak into the whole reel and then let it dry. You could, uh, what I like to do for a, a film that is moldy, take that can, take your, your spool out, fill it with cleaner, put the spool back in and just let it soak for two days. Um, wow. Then you can take you can take it off uh, either using... Um, rewinders or using your projector and just take a nice cotton cloth or microfiber cloth and and squeeze it off to make sure that it's dry or you can just put it put some chemical on a on a cloth and just run it through um again film renew will clean it it'll lubricate it you can purchase it um on ebay through your bansky film which i know mike knows who your bansky film products are urbansky film Uh, i believe his website is moviecraft yes so google it and he has all kinds of stuff on there yep uh, 35 bucks for about 16 ounces. It's kind of expensive, but if, if you only have 50-foot reels, you get a lot out of a bottle. Film Guard is different. Film Guard is used mostly in the projection houses, so it's it's a cleaner, but it's mostly a lubricator, so it's going to leave your film glossy. If you project your films a lot, or if you have prints that you're projecting a lot, uh, Film Guard is, is the same. You can't soak your film in it. You can only use like a cloth that's got the, the chemicals on it um, because it's just mostly a, a lubricator. Fast evaporating one the cleaners like we use here at the FPP, uh, uh, chemicals like PEC-15. Oh, we've PEC-15 talked is about. great. PEC-15 yeah. is great. But those those films or those cleaners are only going to clean. They're not going to lubricate. They're fast drying. Uh, you need to use it in a well-ventilated space because it'll knock your socks off. It's very stinky. Oh. Um, uh, but those both work great. Those prices are also pretty steep. It's not cheap stuff. Other other issues as far as cleaning besides like dust and fingerprints are, again, we talked about mold. We didn't talk about vinegar syndrome, which is common. Oh. You ever heard of, no. Has anybody ever heard of vinegar syndrome? Yes. Okay. Let's we have a film it. over there that yeah. has vinegar syndrome. Vinegar and syndrome is exactly what it sounds like. What, can I tell you how that got it? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so I found a film in the library. Here at FPP, I bought it from Ansonia Film Library, which was a camera store in Ansonia, Connecticut, and they used to rent out films. So in a film can, I found, it said on the side, The Great Flood of 1955. And it said Ansonia Flood. So I'm like, oh my God, a local film. Like they shot this locally and then we're showing it in town. Mm -hmm. So I took the can out and the can was like sealed shut. Mm Mm-hmm. So Dave Northrup and I got our pliers out. Like we we unopened the can, and then the first it stunk like vinegar. Okay. Hence the name like, vinegar. But syndrome. not just like if you took vinegar and concentrated it like a hundred times. Oh my god! Acetic acid. It burns your eyes. It burns your nose. Oh, it, yes. it won't kill you. It's not like bad for you, but oh, it's. Please, I don't want to. No, forget. finish yeah. your story. But, oh, so the first few feet were the film was warped, mm-hmm. wavy, wavy, willy wavy. Super warped, and it wouldn't even like fit around the reel. So I had to clip that piece off and put on. Was it put, hard? 
Uh, no, it was actually soft because all the layers of film, all the emulsion uh-huh. layers and the dyes, mm-hmm. were starting to basically break up Dissolve. or mm-hmm. um, let go. Right. Because I think because somehow this film got sealed in this can and was sat in heat, mm-hmm. it became like la oven. Mm. But wait, isn't that nitrate film? No. Oh, it was safety film? Yes. Um, okay. I've rarely seen nitrate okay. film. Dave has experience with nitrate film, but most safety film came in very early. So safety film, but it couldn't. It just couldn't stand the elements. So okay. it just wasn't ventilated. Okay. You know, it was sealed. Right. Yeah. And that. And so that's like the the number one condition that leads to vinegar syndrome is having it sealed. And I'll talk a little bit about storage of your movie film in a second. But uh, you can't cure vinegar syndrome. Once it starts to happen, that's it. The film will continue to deteriorate right. over time. So, John, it's sort of like hunger. You can't cure it. Yeah. <laughs> like, you can, an hour goes by, yeah. especially if you have Chinese food, and then it's just... <laughs> You know, it's just like you're hungry again. Right. So you can't you can't cure it, but you can slow it down. The only the only way to stop it is to freeze the film. So like an archive oh. will take the film and put it in a deep freeze. But you can't cure it. Um, a, a chemical like Film Renew will slow it down quite a lot. It'll reduce the smell. You should also not keep films with vinegar syndrome next to films that don't have it because it'll spread. Mm, oh that might be a rumor. I'm not so sure about that. Uh, well. Okay. We'll see. Told you we'll that. see. Podcast at filmphotographyproject.com. <laughs> yeah, if you know. All you guys out Someone's there who. working for Big Vinegar, sounds like. Heinz. <laughs> okay. It's not really a, a huge issue with new films today. So if you're like panicking, like, oh my God, I just I just shot a roll of Ectochrome. Are all my, you know, are they effed? No, they're not. Um, most films today are pretty are pretty stable, so you, you shouldn't have a problem with that. Um, as far as storing your movie film, I would say like any which we've talked about on the FPP before, like any kind of environment you store your still negs, you should store your movie film. In other words, if if you were to sit up in your attic in the middle of July and it would be too hot for you, it's too hot for your movies. If you sit in your basement, it's too moist and cold for you. It's too moist and cold for your film. So store it somewhere where it's. Pleasant, not too moist, not too uh, dry, not too hot, not too cold. As far as like movie films and plastic reels and metal reels, plastic, newer plastic is better. Uh, it's archival. You can get you can get uh, archival products from like Taylor Reel. Um, older metal coated painted reels are not as great because that paint chips off, rust gets in there, and then you got rusty films. If you got aluminum, that's perfect. Ever. You shouldn't store your cans vertically. Always store them horizontally because the film will sag off the reel and then they'll warp. And I think, you know, going back to ventilation, having your cans with holes in them is actually better. Even though you might get some dust, dust you can get rid of. Vinegar syndrome, you can't. If you have cans that aren't vented, take them on the workbench, take a small drill, poke some holes on the sides of them, and now you've got vented cans. Store your film in a plastic bag or not in a plastic not, bag? Absolutely not in a plastic bag. Positive. Positive. You Why don't want, you want the film thing. to breathe? So, well, some of my films are in a plastic bag because if the people upstairs oh. nick a line, oh, water, and rain rains upon my film library, right. the, the bags, so it's like a, I'm weighing a scale. Do I want... Vinegar syndrome? Vinegar syndrome in 50 years, or do I want to save my film library should the idiots upstairs right. nick another pipe? Oh! I think that's your choice, Mike. Okay, Maybe thank you. Just you. the whole thing. Like, the whole show is plastic. But um, if you read the documentation from the National Archives, they would tell you don't store it in a plastic bag. Okay. Don't do it. Don't do it. Okay, continue, please. Um, no, I think that's it. Oh, okay. I think Very that's good. it. That's the condensed version. Well, so, imagine the, the longer version is even more boring. So, wow. Does this film cleaning apply... For folks at home who are mostly shooting stills, they, 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 have, they have a strip of negatives, all dirty, they find it, can same film cleaner? 
I would not use uh, a movie film cleaner on unless you're using a product, a fast drying product like Edwall or Pec 15, because those are really made Pec for 12. prints. Pec 12. Or Pec 12, sorry. Mm-hmm. That that stuff will will be good because you don't want lube, lubrication on your negatives. Still negatives, sorry. The lubrication is basically slightly oily. Yes. Does it attract dust? Do or bugs. Think? <laughs> Could be bugs, cockroaches, maybe. It probably does. Um, but there again, dust is cleanable. But, scratches aren't. Well, that and also, if you've got that layer of lubrication between the dust and the film, you're going to reduce the chances for yeah. scratching. Yep. Okay. So you're better off letting the dust get on that lube, taking mm-hmm. the lube off, applying new stuff, and then not having dust scratch your your film. Thank you, Owen. People's generosity is that just amazes me. So we have a package from Sean Nelson. Uh, Sean is a regular FPP, longtime listener. We met him at the uh, darkroom event uh, in 2015. <laughs> he, he, he just put stuff in his pocket. I saw it. Gold Rolly. Gold Rolly. Uh-huh. Need I remind you? I'm keeping the target receipt. Oh. oh! <laughs> That's great. That, that is again? great. No crumbs. Do you see that? Oh, they all have them. Yeah. No crumbs. Oh my god. Look at them. Box of do-it-yourself crumbs. Give me a couple boxes here. No crumbs. Sean. Sean Nelson, you outdid yourself. It says, "Hey, FPP gang, thank you for allowing me to partake of your film knowledge in podcast form, like thousands of others." The FPP has been a big part of my journey into film. Along with buying and shooting film, I believe that sharing and passing along knowledge is critical for the future of film. I want anyone who has the least bit of curiosity about film to have the same positive experiences I've had. Super positive. Super positive. Thank you for responding to my email questions over the past five years. At some point, Mike, Leslie, Matt, Mark, me, and Alex Lux. Lux. Have Alex Lauks have all answered my odd film or camera questions. Thanks for being patient and allowing me to pick your brains. And special props to Justin. Whoa. Yeah, Justin never gets any. That's right. We don't even have a, a This Just In segment this episode because he hasn't walked into the room. And special props to Justin for shipping and quickly responding to emails for the FPP store. Enclosed are some cookies. Yes, some. From Lots. the Pepperidge Farms facility in Richmond, Utah. Special brand. Yep. The special FPP branded, branded cookies. I've also included a Watson bulk loader, 10 new Kodak 35mm cassettes, some steel developing tanks, and reels. Again, thanks for everything you do. Scribble, scribble, scribble. Sean Nelson, South Ogden, Utah. P.S. If you read this letter on the podcast, Don't please say make my sure <laughs> that John Fidelli isn't clipping his fingernails. What? <laughs> he did that once when you read one of my emails on the show. John, come on. That's personal hygiene. Oh. Don't make me call you mom. It was back in Butler. <laughs> oh, we were really? reading, and all of a sudden, started like, clipping you, my nails? you started clipping your nails. Where did you get the that? clipper from? Uh, I don't know. Where did you get dude, the nails? I can't remember last week. I'm going to remember that. You're talking maybe eight years ago. Yeah. Oh, wow. I, no offense. He nothing per, nothing personal, Sean. Uh, Joby, do you have any recollection of John clipping oh, yeah. his... I tell you. Oh, when, stop. Get a little closer to your mic, please. I don't remember which episode. You do not. Do you really? Of course. Oh, my God. <laughs> no mm-hmm. embarrassing. No doubt. Thank you, Sean. Book of the month. Book of the month. FPP. Book of the month. <laughs> okay, this is a book by a photographer named Tim Antoani. It's called Behind Photographs. And what it is, he started a project back in 2006 to photograph famous photographers uh, before, you know, they die, 
uh, on 20 by 24 Polaroid. And so he he started off by photographing Jim Marshall uh, in San Francisco. There, you know, Polaroid made these big 20 by 24 cameras. There's only five or six of them in the world. And at the time he started this, there were only three that were kind of in public use. He started with Jim Marshall and wasn't sure, you know, how far his project would take. But every time he photographed a photographer, another one said, hey, have you called so-and-so about this? Have you talked to this person? Have you talked to this person? So he's photographed over 150 photographers. And what the way he did it was he um, had them bring in either their favorite photograph or their most famous photograph. And then he would photograph them holding their famous photograph. So this ah, is John Marshall holding a picture of... Um, it's the Johnny Cash Johnny F-U. Cash giving the finger photograph. Let's get a, some movie footage of that photograph. <laughs> And what's what's also fascinating about this about these pictures is that he asked each of the photographers to write their to write something about the photograph at the bottom. <clears throat> Excuse me. And <laughs> what did he write about that? Can you read it? Well, no? the problem is some of them are illegible. But the good news is that in the back they wrote they wrote it all out in print form, so you can read them at your leisure. It's a great book. But it has really famous photographers: Elliot Erwitt, Amy Arbus. Um, mm-hmm. Forgot the guy with the Weimaraners, Wegman. His name just like I said, it's just tons of tons of really famous photographs that you'll see the photograph first and go, oh, I know that photograph. Mm-hmm. And then I like that have, he's just holding the dog, not the picture yeah, of the he's dog. Holding a cardboard cutout of his dog. Which <laughs> oh, is he really? Back when I first started listening to the FPP, the, there was one other podcast I listened to, and it was called Inside Analog Radio with um, Scott Sherman. I think was his name. Scott Shepard. Scott Shepard. He had an interview with Tim Mantuani <laughs> about this book. And that's where I first heard about. And actually, Tim Mantuani has passed. He died in 2016. But he managed to photograph over 150 photographers. And this book is really something. It's hard to get now because, obviously, because he's died. It still says it's available on his website. But when I tried to buy one directly from him, it never came. Uh You paid. I paid. And about a month went by. And I got my credit card company to take care of it for me. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, boy. So I'm not sure if you can still buy them off his website. They're, they're available used. You can find them. This one's in not – the inside is in pristine condition, but the outside's a little beat up. And I actually, when I got it, I didn't even realize that it was a signed copy, uh, which is kind of Oh, nice. really? Uh, here's a picture of the 20 by 24 camera. He used the two cameras, one in New York and one in San Francisco a lot. But he also had photographers that could not come to either of those locations for a photograph. So he bought – What's his name? Tim Mantuani, M-A-N-T-O-A-N-I. He found – found a 20 by 24 Wisner camera that with a Polaroid back that he could drag around to these photographers who could not come to New York or <laughs> wow or San Francisco. Uh, here I'm showing Mike a picture oh. of the um the 20 by 24 camera. The camera itself weighs 235 pounds. Not the Wisner. This is the original one. <laughs> um, can I see the cover? Oh yeah, that's not as big as the, the one that the Elsa Dorfman uses. Is it's it? the exact same. Is it? She okay. has one of those cameras. We let around okay. to make the movie look more exciting. <laughs> many, many famous photographers have used these cameras. The problem is that they, you know, when Polaroid went under, the the product for making, you know, the positives and negatives, um, got had to get purchased, and the 25, 20 by twenty four studio in New York City bought most of the rest of it. Okay, have been selling it off. It started off, when he started this project, it was about $75 a shot. And then by the end, I think it was about $250 a shot. Wow. 
So he wasn't making any money no. doing this project, but it was kind of a labor of love. Sure. Um, Excuse me. Mark has his own podcast going on in his head over there. <laughs> no, he's like looking at a book. He's yeah. holding it up. He's got a in his head, he's like, he's oh, welcome to the Mark Dalzell podcast. <laughs> Please continue. I'm sorry. Okay. Well, the, other, the other interesting thing is when you guys were going to the PDN Photo Expo, he was actually in the basement shooting these pictures. No, Stop. No oh, at the Javits Center? At the Javits Center. Wow. How did he get in? He would rent a room in the downstairs and have these famous photographers come into New York and, and do the pictures. Then, you know, one of Pete Turner, who's a famous oh. photographer, asked him, well, why, why the hell are you shooting on this big, ridiculous format? And he said, well, would you have come if I had shot it on 35-millimeter yeah. digital? Exactly. And he went, hell no. Yeah. Yeah, because there were photographers who just wanted to see yeah. the camera. And Scott Shepard asked him who, what photographers had he not gotten that he really wanted to photograph. And the two, the two main ones that came to mind were um, Robert Frank. Yes. Who just wouldn't return calls or any kind of emails. And the other one was um, Irving Penn, who mm. just said, I never want to be in front of a camera. <laughs> you know, and so he respected that. But those were two he was sad about not actually being able to photograph. When he had shows of these pictures, what he would do is he, he used a 4x5 scan back, which is like a, a back you can put on a 4x5 camera that has a slot that moves around so you can photograph, you know, and stitch together digital, oh, wow. pic- high-end digital pictures together and would make 30 by 50 size prints of these so that the, the people in the photographs were virtually life-size. And you could enjoy both the photographer and then a life-size picture of the photograph. That's fun. Says we have come to a point in history where we're losing both photographic recorded mediums and iconic photographers. True. Um, while many people are familiar with iconic photographs, the general public have no idea who cre- no idea of who created them. The book became a means to do that, the photographer and their photograph in one image. Mm-hmm. Cool. Oh. So Give the photographer so some. Behind photographs... By Tim Mantuani. Now, where can you find this book right now? Uh, I would suggest somewhere like, uh, well, you can probably find it on eBay. Uh, I think on Amazon there are some used copies for outrageous prices. Um, like what's books, outrageous? Think, ABE books. I, I think that's ABE books, so I yep. think where I got this copy. Yeah, those would be the top three places I would suggest. What's outrageous? How much? Couple hunch, uh, two, no, I only paid because this one's you know a little beat up. I think I paid fifty bucks for it. Oh, that's but, but on uh, on Amazon, they're in the. I mean, brand new. You can get them for over a couple hundred, and they're different versions. This is just the hardcover version. There was a version that came in a slip. Then there was mm-hmm. one that was like deluxe that had some signatures and some other things in it. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's a yeah. good book. Cool yeah. book. I think we gotta go. <laughs> Jordan, I gotta go. Hey, go pass the mic over to uh, Ethan. What am I going to talk about? Here? No, how's this all work? Like, what do you think of all this? This is great. Really? We yeah, I mean, I listen to you guys. Uh, I listen to you. I mean, you're like imaginary celebrities to me until this morning. <laughs> imaginary celebrities. <laughs> yeah. Until this morning. Now, now he's thoroughly disgusted. At least he didn't say invisible celebrities. Is this what you thought it was going to be? No. Oh, what did you think it was going to be? I don't know. I mean, you I, thought I, it was going to be more professional. Limousines and caviar. No, I've done a ton of podcasts, but I've always done them like over Skype or <laughs> yes. or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's kind of nice. You guys are just all the real thing is like, they're all here. So, how about you, Joby? In uh, in FPP history, any episodes come to mind that you want you want to like mention a tidbit from the past? I could recreate my fingernail clipping episode. Let's not. Well, speaking of John, <laughs> well, <laughs> here we go. I just. Listen to. I'm kind of started over again for the hundredth time. I don't know how many times I heard you said something. Welcome to the film photography podcast, the FPP, and John goes. I just thought that was hilarious, and I was trying to decide whether it was fa or fa fa for the film photography podcast. It's the two P's. It's the two P's. It's a tough one. It's hardcore. I don't know. 
That's like shower thoughts. That's like, <laughs> whoa. Is it shower thoughts. Actually, it was my wife that asked that question. So, oh, did she listen? Definitely not. Okay. I use the. You, you'll laugh at this. I use the film photography podcast to get my daughter out of bed in the morning. <laughs> Oh my god! It's like torture. <laughs> What's I'll your daughter's it. name? Uh, my daughter's name is Lily. Lily. Yeah. Lily. Okay. And Lily, there'll be days where she doesn't want to get up. She's homeschooled, so she doesn't have to get up at the crack of dawn anyway. But she'll she'll pretend to be dead, <laughs> and so I'll just put my iPhone on her dresser, way away from her bed, and just turn on the FBB and walk out, and she'll just start screaming. And, oh my god! You know, wow. Nothing like the sounds of Mike Rasso's. She's voice. not the first child that really dislikes. I think it has little to do with us, more to do with it's something my dad likes, and yeah. I don't because I'm a kid and I'm a lot cooler. Well, it used to be she let me take her picture all the time and now she's gotten to the point where she just doesn't want me to take her picture much. Unless she can dress up or do something fancy. And so it's just because it's photography related. She just doesn't like it because it has anything to do with it. You've ruined her. Of course. She'll never pick up a camera. And that's your fault. That's true. (laughs) (laughs) Think about that. Well, she now has a phone and she takes pictures with the phone. So there's no... You know, that you could get that. She'll come out of it. Yeah. She'll come out of it. She'll snap. Yeah. Lily, get up. Podcast at Film for... Oh, there you go. Here's a special message for Lily. (laughs) Lily, get up. Lily, get get out of bed. Lily, get up. Let's go. Let's go. Time for school. Lily, get up. Lily, get get out of bed. Lily, get up. Let's go. Let's go. Time for school. Lily, get up. Lily, get get out of bed. Lily, get up. Let's go. Go time for school. Podcast at filmphotographyproject.com. I want to thank everyone for being here. Uh, It's great to have a guest. Yes. Great to be here. Yeah, it's really cool. Really cool. Um, So, uh, uh, for folks, you know, really quick around the table, uh, Mark O'Brien, you have a blog, Random... Random Camera Blog. Camera Blog, which is very good. Which is is randomphoto.blogspot.com. Yep. John, nothing. Nothing. Put the phone down. Yeah, I'll go up for a few minutes and I'll come down. Keep the show going, okay? Okay. All right. Yeah, all right. Who's who, who on the bowl, John? My mother, my mother. What I should have done, I should have put her on the bowl before I came down here. Joby, are you have an imprint? I do. What, uh, I'm on Flickr as Joseph Brunges, or I have my own website, which is josephbrunges.com. Uh, Mark as uh, what? Dalzell.com? What? Myboringpictures.com? Myboringpictures.com. I'm on the Instagram now. As Mr. Mark Dalzell. Yeah, I saw yeah. you. Yeah. Okay. You uh, saw me. Ethan, I saw you. where do we find you? I'm at cameradactyl.com. That's C-A-M-E-R-A-D-A-C-T-Y-L.com. And also cameradactyl or buttergrip on Instagram. <laughs> I like Bush that. Bushman D lover. Wesley? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Flickr player here. Um, Leslie lays me on Flickr. And I am on Instagram, remarkably under the same name. Yep, I'm, I'm going to plug Film Photography Tube on YouTube because I've been working really hard on camera tests. I'm very excited about them, and it's fun, and I'm enjoying it, and I want people to see my stuff. Ah, we'll see you soon. Now, what do we do? Yeah. <laughs> um. 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 Uh. Um. 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 Um, and um, 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 um,
Yeah. 
think I'll take a trip to Mexico I'm heading down to Tijuana Maybe I'll meet up with some banditos I'll play some music in a bar there I'll take my guitar and my sombrero And maybe I could fly the band in We'll play the songs that we all used to know 